Does wanting a guy to pay for dinner make you a bad feminist? Why are women still doing the lion's share of housework? Is there anything wrong with wanting to look sexy once you're a mom? Why are we so quick to call angry women crazy? On Thread the Needle, a new indie feminist podcast, host Donna Cleveland helps listeners to tease out the truth from societal expectations to help them figure out what ideas to throw out and what to hold on to. In America, women have more freedom and opportunity than at any point in history to choose their own path. And yet conflicting messages from pop culture, family members, and friends make it hard for women to know how to see themselves and what to strive for in the world. On Thread the Needle, Donna explores the meeting place between feminist ideals and the realities of women's lives in order to help women see their path more clearly. Listen to Thread the Needle on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere you listen to podcasts. Hi, I'm Reshma. Welcome to Brave Not Perfect, the podcast about breaking away from the cult of perfection to live bolder and ultimately happier lives. And today, it's all about trailblazers, pioneers, the people who come before us that lay the foundations that allow the rest of us to thrive. Today, we're gonna talk to an incredible pioneer in tech who I'm so excited to have on the show. Her name is Dr. Robbie Melton, and she's the definition of what I like to call brave not perfect in so many ways. Robbie is a tenured professor at Tennessee State University who served for 20 years as the chief administrator for the Tennessee Board of Regents. This incredible woman is a renowned presenter and researcher when it comes to smart mobile devices, wearable technologies, and so much more. Right now, Robbie is working with Apple on an initiative to deepen its partnership with historically black colleges and universities. She championed the creation of 10 new technology hubs for HBCUs and their surrounding communities. Those hubs are part of Apple's Community Education Initiative, which is designed to bring coding, creativity, and workforce development opportunities to learners of all ages. Robbie is doing incredibly important work and is an incredible inspiration to me. I'm excited to share our conversation with you right now. I love to kick things off about how we got connected. So you've been working really closely with Apple on an amazing new initiative. Uh, a few seconds ago, you told me you were just about to retire. And then this happened. This huge opportunity happened. And this initiative that you're working with, with Apple, to bring new computer science and coding resources to HBCUs. Um, can you tell our listeners a little bit about that? Oh, yes. And again... Life is good. I have the pleasure of an amazing opportunity to work with historically Black colleges and universities across the nation and bringing them coding and creativity. Oh my gosh, what a way <laughs> to be at the end of my career. And just when I thought ah, I will retire, I saw some alarming numbers to say that Black females are only 2% representatives in this area. I can't retire. 
No, you can't. No, you can't retire, Robbie. Oh, no. So with this opportunity with Apple, I'm able to go out and you're right, pioneer, um, shake bushes to let women of color know that we can code and we can create. It's not the old grandma coding from my era. Mm. I'm talking about empowerment. That's right. And, you know, it's coding isn't just like a white dude in a hoodie somewhere, right? Coding is so important, right? It's finding solutions to our biggest problems, climate change. I mean, I know that there is probably a young woman of color right now who is, uh, you know, coding a cure to the virus. And so how do we work together and how do we work on making sure that there's more opportunities? Um, you pointed out an important number that I want to want to make sure our listeners know that less than 2% of women of color are receiving degrees in computing degrees, less than 2%. And when you announced this initiative, what gave me like, you know, goosebumps was you said, I promise you that this initiative with Apple is going to double the amount of black women in STEM. And I love that. Um, I'm going to have to change that statement because when we're only 2% to double, that only Mm. means 4%. Okay. Um, I need to multiply that a little more. I plan to see six plus percent more. We have empowerment. And the first thing you're right, when people see me, they go, you're a coder. Like it's something odd. No, Mm. I want it to be where young black girls across the world can say, I am a coder. So with that and with the partnership with Apple, we're able to go into the communities. We're able to go into the schools, the community centers, the churches, Mm. and share with them the power of coding And we have a little um, nickname. We call it SMART. Everything is SMART. So if you ever see me, I'm coated from head to toe, from coated fingernails, coated hair, coated clothes. Like you said, I'm coated. And on the serious, serious side, when people understand that everything that you touch, you see, you hear, you're talking coding, but you're also talking creativity. So if you can dream it, we can code it. Mm, That's so powerful. And that's what you mean when you say like every piece of me is code because every piece of our world is code. And I think that's the thing. I know when I talk to young, young folks is I don't think they, they, we've never taught them how code is a part of every single thing that they do and every single thing that they want to create. And I love that creativity angle on it. Yes. Um, I wanted to ask you, Robbie, tell me about, I I was curious, tell me about the history about HBCUs in STEM education. Yes. Unfortunately, in terms of STEM, many of our HBCUs do not offer computer science programs, which is a disadvantage when you look at our digital workplace now, especially being remote. With this partnership, we are able to empower all of our HBCUs in working together. So if we have a school that does not offer computer science or coding or 
or your full um, spectrum of STEM, we're able to deliver those programs to them and work out partnerships. So with the everyone can code and everyone can create, we actually go to the HBCUs and we hold academies, we hold camps. And now that we are virtual, I take advantage of that because now we can actually say that all HBCUs are now able to partake in this STEM coding environment. That's amazing. That's so important because, I mean, one of the things I think we've seen with the COVID crisis is that technology is such a huge uh, accelerator. Everything is happening so fast. And we want to make sure that no, none of our children are left behind. What is, why is the creative part so important, you think, to this initiative? Because when you think of computer science, you think, oh, it must be boring. Mm. It must, you know, everyone think, oh, I can't do it. You can do it. And we start off with that creative juice of what if. And that's the first concept that we promote. What if? What if during this COVID-19, we could create a mobile app that wherever you go will ring your phone if that virus is around? Mm. What if? So with the creativity, you have to be able to think it. And our uh, motto is, and then we code it. So that's where the creativity comes in in getting the design. And by the way, everyone can create. Just think about it, regardless of age, regardless of color. And that's what we want our young girls to do. What if? Yeah, because, I, you know, so many of our girls, right, they've been counted out or they've been told they can't. And I think to empower them that they can build anything and solve any problem. I mean, I think that's why, you know, seeing Katherine Johnson, right, was so powerful because they saw someone who looks like them with their background. And they're like, you know what, I can do that too. You know, so much of what you're talking about is like this idea of like, you cannot be what you cannot see. And I think so many young girls, when they heard about Katherine Johnson uh, and watched that movie, they're like, oh, I can do that too. I can create, I can build anything. Um, and so I think this initiative is really going to spark that sense of like, like it's in my, you know, I can basically, any problem I want to solve, whether it's climate change, whether it's, you know, supporting the BLM movement, like anything that I can do, I can do with code. Uh, so it's so powerful. So you're not only running this amazing initiative at Apple, but you've been really leading the work in the mobile internet of everything space for some time now. So for our listeners who may not be familiar with the term, can you explain the internet of everything and talk about the groundbreaking work you've been doing? Um, yes. The internet of everything is really an awareness of the world, of what we call now the smart connected world. To look around the world and everything that you see and basically that you touch, even within your home like a smart refrigerator, or when you go outside and all of a sudden your traffic lights are timed by the traffic. 
when you help people to understand that the world has changed and the world is connected of the internet of everything and that I can get a call on my phone before I even leave my home to let me know there's a traffic jam two miles away and it will reroute me. This is amazing. I'm living in an age where all of a sudden, before I get out of bed, my whole calendar appears to me. (laughs) So with that realization, you then help people not to become passive, what I call consumer. We Mm. want innovators. And that's where our young girls come in. And that's where people of color are able to empower themselves with these skills. Oh my gosh, we are in a smart, connected world. So powerful. How did you, I can hear like the passion just coming from your voice so deeply. When did this start for you? How young were you when you got interested in being an innovator? Well, now I'm going to date myself. Go for it. Okay, here we go. (laughs) Social media to in my era, was a party line where five neighbors shared one phone. Can you all believe that? (laughs) I mean, a party line. And now we have social media. I mean, even little kids have their own iPads and phones. So how did it start for me? Because things are amazing. I'm coming from a generation where I sat and watched the rocket Sputnik go up. Oh, yes, I'm aging myself. Mm -hmm. And now with my iPhone in my hand, I have more technology than what we send in space. Oh, my gosh, who wouldn't be, I mean, passionate? Oh, wow. So with that and knowing We have all of this power. I don't want to play Candy Crush. I want to be able to be an innovator. If I have the tools in my hands, I mean, look at all of the mobile apps, by the way, that they share with you. I'm an appologist. What is that? Something I made up because I study apps because it's (laughs) amazing. I mean, to end the education, the workforce. So, yes, I'm from the age of watching technology grow. I still have my first, my first iMac. So at this point, back to the HBCUs and young girls can code. If we, again, you keep hearing the word empower, and I stick to that. I want young black girls to know that they are innovators, they're creators. They can shape this technology. So instead of playing Angry Birds, create Angry Birds. In in other words, innovation is what I'm pushing. And it starts again with the imagination, with creativity, with my saying of what if. Wow. Yeah. It's like encouraging our kids, not just to be consumers, but to actually create the future. 
One of the things that I've been thinking a lot about, which I'm sure you are too, is this moment that we're in and what it means for our kids, uh, especially our black and brown students. Uh, one of my alumni, Kaya Sue, was telling me, you know, she's majoring in computer science at George Washington. And for a lot of the kids, they had a choice, either come back to school, right, until November or choose to learn remotely. And she opted and she said many of her friends of color are opting to work to learn remotely because they don't want to come home and get their families sick in November. And we know that the black community is being disproportionately impacted by COVID, right? So there's a real genuine fear there. What do we do about this? How does education, how do we as leaders in this field deal with this issue? What's the solution? Well, I'm going to make this personal. Right now, I'm waiting on my COVID-19 results. Last week, I developed a fever, chills, and immediately I said, testing. And I'm an advocate of wearing a mask and social distancing. Well, again, I look at the glass being half full. So with COVID-19, and now many school districts are giving students mobile devices, whether we're talking tablets or computers, I'm one to take advantage of this rare opportunity in the world where all children across the nation will have some type of device where now they have the tools in their hands. We also have the content. Thank goodness for the content. All of the coding, um, the SWIFT playgrounds are free, online, available to everyone, I mean, all around the world. So now they have the tools, they have the content, now they need teachers, facilitators. So yes, that's where we come in. So with that, it's, here I go again, empowering the community. So what we're doing, we're holding Zoom churches. And after the sermon, we're coding. Mm. We're talking about coding. We're talking about creativity. It takes the community to move this whole um, COVID um, heaviness forward in terms of being positive. One more time. This is the opportunity that now our children of color will have the tools. We have the curricula that now let's use it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I, well, first I'm praying for you and I know that God will, will keep you safe uh, for your COVID results. Um, and everything you said is so true. It's almost like this crisis has opened up some people's eyes to the inequity that we've always seen. But maybe in this moment, you know, when you're, you don't have to be getting your Wi-Fi at a Burger King parking lot or sharing a device, only one device that you have with three of your other siblings, so you only get to learn one third of the time, you know, hopefully our policymakers will see this. And in, in I think for those of us who can amplify this issue, really speak to the justice that we need in this moment and the equity that we need in this moment. How do you envision, envision though, 
kind of the internet of everything playing into this conversation about virtual education in school? Well, the internet of everything, when you look at it, these children have the devices and they're sitting in their bedroom. When they realize and they look around their home, they can connect to various objects within their home. In other words, we can make that home environment into what I call a learning environment, a smart environment. In fact, having the tools of like the iPhone or the iPad and being able to design mobile apps, I mean apps, to be able to create websites, um, content will give them the creativity. The I mean, you hear it in my voice. Um, we can change that home environment into what I call an amazing um, learning environment that connects everything. And that's what they need to know. The connection, the coding of everything. It's so interesting what you say. Uh, you know, I interviewed Jack Dorsey a couple of weeks ago, and he said something very similar to what you were saying. He was saying, you know, he loves the work that he's doing in Africa because so much of the innovation that's happening there, are people are actually thinking about how can I use technology to solve community problems that I'm facing? You know, oftentimes here in the United States, we're building tools to like, you know, to like fulfill like some, you know, uh, fun thing that we want to do, right? Not really actually solve a hardship. Uh, or an issue. And I think that's why I and you, I think, are so passionate about teaching girls and kids to code, because I think that especially for many, I mean, I was a daughter of immigrants, right? There were so many things that I saw in my home, in my community, in my, you know, in my, in my surrounding environment that I wanted to fix, solve, support, Right. And so that's why I think it's so important when you when we work together to get more kids of color coding, because I think that they're going to help rise up their families and their communities uh, and solve and fix things that they're seeing immediately in their lives. Um, There's so much empathy right there that that I and so much need to heal, which I think is so powerful. And and with that, let me just add something else that we're doing. And we're doing it right here in our homes. We work with the teacher center in Malawi. Malawi is the third poorest country in the world. Do you know I'm teaching them how to code and create from my home? They're able to get Wi-Fi once a month. And in that one time, they go to the village. And for one hour, one hour, we are able to use the three iPads that we left with them when we were over there. But you talking about an amazing um, curriculum that we can deliver from my home. And again, I have been around and I can actually say I don't work for Apple, but I am here to say I'm an advocate. Because when I can teach coding and creativity and Swift Playground from my my little corner of my house in Nashville Mm -hmm. to Malawi and make a difference and they have designed apps. Oh, my God. It's amazing. Yeah. 
It really is. It really is. Um, they've been huge supporters of Girls Who Code, and I think that there's, you know, there's there's a lot of good that we can do together. You're a trailblazer in this space. Can you tell me about a time you were brave? When I was brave, yes. I was brave enough where I didn't quit my first week of college. I am first-generation college, and I had the, and I'm going to say fortunate, uh, um, experience and you hear me stumbling because it brings back a lot of tears, but joy because I had an instructor to say, you are not college material. And I had great grades. However, he shared with me, I was not college material because of my skin color not because of grades, not because I couldn't keep up, and he told me to go home. I remember going out the door, and I remember saying, no, I'm going to go back. And I went back. And yes, he failed me, but I was brave enough to take that F and take the course again, of course, with another person, but Had I walked out of that door, I can't share with you where I would be to this day. Brave means the risk of having someone to close the door, but you go ahead and open it back up. Mm, Thank you for sharing that. And thank God you did, right? There are so so many people's lives who've been impacted by your work who wouldn't have been able to achieve their dreams if it was not for your bravery. So thank you. And and thank you for this opportunity. You just heard me talking to the incredible pioneer, Dr. Robbie Melton. She's a tenured professor at Tennessee State University and is leading the effort with Apple to bring new coding resources to her university and other HBCUs. If you enjoyed today's show, Make sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Brave Not Perfect comes out every other Tuesday. See you later. Hi, I'm your executive producer, Oliver Ash Klein. Tanya Zaporonik and Charlotte Stone co-produced this episode. And of course, we couldn't make Brave Not Perfect without unwavering support from Deborah Singer and Rush Sajani. <laughs>